Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Ash Wednesday service. Certainly a prayer that is fitting for tonight uh, to interpret it in kind of more of a modern way from Psalm 36, but powerful, still the same, certainly our heart and the theme of this night and turning towards God. I don't think that there is a person here tonight that does not want to change, that does not want to be new. Well, we are so glad that you're here, as we always say, regardless of whether it's a weekend, a Saturday, or Sunday, or, or how about a Wednesday? It's pretty cool that we're here on a Wednesday. We believe it's no accident that you are here. We are doing church on a Wednesday. It feels kind of good. Maybe we should do this all the time. What do you think? Okay. If you show up, I'll be here. If you guys want to come, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. But there's something about Ash Wednesday, actually, the fact that it's on a Wednesday that I actually really love, that I think is very fitting for this day, is it sort of interrupts us, doesn't it? It sort of just stops us right in the middle of our week. You're normally probably not here on a Wednesday. Some of you are from maybe different groups or classes that are going on, but there's something about worshiping here on a Wednesday, something about being together. This is a set-apart night. This is a holy night. And the reason that we're here, well, you're here for a lot of different reasons. Maybe some of you grew up with this and this is completely normal uh, for you and you're wondering why we're not having a soup supper in the lobby afterwards with green shag carpet. I mean, some of you are wondering what happened to that if you grew up Lutheran or uh, more of a traditional setting. Some of you were drug here tonight and you're like, what is this ash thing all about? Are we going to get ashes dumped on us? Or just going to set your heart at ease for those of you that are kind of weirded out by that or that's an odd thing. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing magical uh, about it. It's simply just us living out this, this age-old tradition, centuries old of God's people using ashes. When Job repented, when people repented throughout the Old Testament, they would repent in sackcloth and ashes as a way of saying, God, this is who we are essentially before you. We are mortal. We are broken before a holy and living God. We deserve death. We came from the dust, and to dust we were. I mean, there's, there's a mortality to tonight. There's a a simplicity about it, that we don't stop and reflect very often, and so tonight is very, very important. And so at the end of the service tonight, just to give you a heads up, for those of you that this is a new thing, and I know for some of you it is, because we have a lot of new people at Hope, and most of new people at Hope are coming from no church background at all, or a church background that is not necessarily Lutheran, and we're a little weird, but we don't apologize for that, especially on nights like tonight, because boy, we need grace. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot as Lutherans. And so as we begin tonight, we begin this journey as well. Yes, it is Ash Wednesday, but it is also the beginning of Lent uh, this weekend, the first weekend of Lent, this 40-day journey, these next six weeks leading up to Easter. And the power of that, the power of this journey, we don't observe every tradition or holiday in the liturgical calendar as a church, but we were talking this past week as a staff about the lost discipline in our immediate culture, uh, a culture of immediacy where everything is at our fingertips and our grasp in a second, we maybe have lost somewhere in that the discipline of longing, the discipline of waiting, of having to anticipate something. When everything is at your disposal all the time, you don't have to wait for anything. Well, there is a journey to the cross, a journey that Jesus and his disciples took, and a journey that Christians for centuries have gone on, and millions around the world are beginning tonight. You are a part of something much bigger than yourself. And so we join that journey tonight. And Ash Wednesday, yes, is certainly important, but it's important we understand the journey that we're beginning and what this is all about, which is a bit more uh, then, which maybe for some of you is your first moments, your first hours without chocolate. <clears throat> or for some of you, your first day without Facebook. You 
begrudgingly signed off today or Twitter or caffeine or anything like that. Or if you're like me, the thing that you give up every year is any hope that the Hawkeyes are going to make the NCAA tournament. And <laughs> once again, I have renewed my Lenten tradition of giving up on the Hawkeyes for another year. But those of you that are Iowa State fans, you do not have to give that up for Lent. So <laughs> blessings to you uh, on your journey, but we'll just really learn repentance uh, as Hawkeye fans in that sense. We'll be a little bit closer to Jesus maybe by the end of these 40 days. I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, it's really important. A lot of you are giving things up. A lot of you are practicing that discipline of fasting. And usually when we hear the word fasting, we think about food, but there's a lot of things we can fast from, which is essentially removing something for our life and cleaning out rooms so that we can make more space for God. If you're doing something for any other reason than to make more space for God, you're going through the motions and your heart's not in the right place. So check your heart and check your motives on that. But a lot of you are doing this. You're saying no to things in order to say yes to God. And if that's a new thing for you, I would encourage you to try it. Even if it's just something small or little or something that you can take away or stop doing for a while to make more space for God. And if all of this is new for you, some of you are looking through your Bible right now going, I've read a lot of the Bible, but I've never read where it talks about Lent. Well, you'll be very disappointed that there is no thou shalt do without Starbucks for six weeks in the Bible. There's no Lent. There's no Ash Wednesday in the Bible. Instead, fittingly, this word Lent is kind of derived from an old English word that just literally means springtime. And with the weather we've been having lately, I think that's really fitting. And when you think about springtime, you think about decluttering, you think about spring cleaning. And maybe tonight, God is offering us the invitation to not just do some spring cleaning in your homes and your closets, but some spring cleaning in your parts, to clean out some of those areas, to expose those areas, to confess some things, to get things out of the darkness and into the light as we heard in our scripture reading. And anything that we're going to talk about tonight, for a lot of you, you've heard this before. This is not new news. It's like Christmas and Easter every year. Like the story doesn't change, right? We don't need necessarily more information. You know these things. Information alone doesn't transform us. And for a lot of us as American Christians, we are educated beyond our obedience. And I'm right there with you. And on a night like tonight, we don't need more information. We don't even need more motivation. I could give you a rousing sermon and fire you up tonight. No, what we need is transformation. We need the Holy Spirit because he's the only one that can allow us to change what we want to change this Lenten season. So you've heard these things before, and now it's time to live them. So I want to make it really simple. I told the noon, the great crowd we had here at noon, the same thing. When they go back to their cubicle, to their office space, to their families, and for you the same. When you go on now, tonight and tomorrow, wherever life takes you, take these three simple things. We're just going to break it down into three phrases that you can remember and take home with you tonight. The first one is look in. Everybody say in. 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 The second one is look away. Everybody say away. away. The third one is look up. Everybody say up. up. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say up. 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 Awesome. Everybody look up for a second. Here's the light. Feels good to look up. Feels good to get your eyes off of yourself. But there's a progress here. There's a pr progression. So we start with number one, look in. Everybody say in. in. Meaning, meaning inside or inside our hearts. 
into those places we don't like to go very often. Uh, about a month ago, Tiffany and I came home and about the same time, uh, freaked out at the same time because we realized that we had company coming over in a half an hour. And if any of you are parent, young families or parents of young kids or have ever been in that world, like our house is a disaster a lot of the time. 10 hours, 12 hours after it was perfectly clean, it's a disaster. Again, so there are clothes everywhere, there are toys, there are piles of laundry, there are dirty diapers laying around, the kitchen's a disaster, and we get home from work and realize, ah, we're hosting some people in a half an hour. And some of you have done this before, right? You go into freakout mode and it's like speed cleaning, but it's like fake cleaning. It's fake organization. You really don't do it. You don't go through it. So we're going around just grabbing stuff and like throwing it in closets and chucking things in the, in the garbage and under the sink and in cabinets and sliding Caleb's puzzles underneath the carpet. So nobody, like we are going crazy because we got about two hours of work to do in about 25 minutes. And so we're, by the end of it, I am sweating from running up and down the stairs and just dumping laundry on our bed. Tell me I'm not the only one that's ever done this. <laughs> it's Ash Wednesday. It's confession time, okay? So... You've all, you've all done this a time or two, so we're just throwing it in. And that worked really well, and we felt really good about ourselves. The people came over, and they, you know, we kind of chit-chatted for a while. And they're like, oh, you didn't have to clean for us. And I'm like, now you tell me, right? But we wanted to make a good impression, and we felt really good because on the outside, our home was immaculate. And that lasted a night until the next day and the next day and the next week. And about a month later, we continued to realize, why can't we find anything? Why can't we find our clothes? Why do our children have one pair of pants each? You know, like, why, what is that weird smell coming from the closet? You know, like, that, that lifestyle you can only sustain for a while until you got to come clean. You can't keep hiding it. And so all of those things led us to slowly but surely going through those things one after another. We're not meant to live like that. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. We can go so fast, so hard, and be distracted by so many other priorities that the things that actually matter the most are the ones that get shoved away. All the clutter starts to pile up, and eventually you have to deal with it. Scripture puts it this way. Actually, David does in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's read this nice and loud together on the screen. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yes, that is a still picture of a friend's episode where they're looking in the closet there, and I believe the caption underneath that uh, on, on Google or whatever, uh, uh, YouTube, the caption under that is, hey, you weren't supposed to see that. <laughs> Ever had one of those moments in your life? Somebody found out something about you. Oh, hey, you weren't supposed to see that. You ever heard anybody uh, use the phrase or the comment? Oh, you know, we all have skeletons in our closet. You know, we've all done things in the past. So, oh, I hope somebody doesn't find that out. We've all got things to hide. What if you never had to say that again? What if you didn't have to? What if the real you is the real you and wherever you go and whatever you do you, any, people could find out anything about you and it would not be anything new because you're completely authentic. You are who you are. You, people, they see you and that's what they get. What if you didn't have to have anything to hide? Because the problem is when we get down to it, God's not so interested in the smelly t-shirt or the kid's toy that's shoved in the closet. It's the mistake that you made in college that you continue to carry with you. Or the mistake you made last week 
that you just feel so guilty about. I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I should go to church this week after what I've done. It's the argument you had with your spouse on the way here tonight, which never happens, I'm sure. It's those things that we shove in the closet. It's the apathy towards your spouse recently because you've bought into the lie that that's just kind of what happens to couples after a while. They just drift apart. So we'll just kind of shove it under the rug and come to church and put on happy, smiley faces. It's the constant game of comparison that you play with your friends and your colleagues around you, and without realizing it, it begins to steal your joy and makes you a very envious person. Maybe it's the way that you beat yourself up for not being a good enough parent, and you just don't think that you measure up. Maybe it's your apathy towards spending time with God and prayer and devotions and worship. Maybe it's the self-hatred that you carry with you that comes after every time you look in the mirror and you can't stand the way you look. And somewhere we start believing a lie that we have to keep those hidden because if people found out the real us, if they found out what we're really struggling with as a church person, heaven forbid, we wouldn't be accepted, we wouldn't be wanted, and certainly God would be extremely disappointed with us. And some of that stuff has been shoved in closets for many years, and some of it is just recently. But trying to hide our sin from a God that is all-knowing, <laughs> whether you're hurting tonight, whether you're lonely, whether you're overwhelmed or stressed out or ashamed, trying to hide anything from the God of the universe is utterly useless. God says, hey, I see it all. So you don't have to try so hard to hide it. I already know. I already see it. Even those things you think that nobody else sees, God says, I see it. Instead, we come clean. Instead, we don't offer any excuses on Ash Wednesday. My wife is really, really good about challenging me to simply say, I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry, but let me justify myself. Let me tell you why I, I'm sorry, but I really don't need to be too sorry because Ash Wednesday is a night to say, God, I'm sorry, and leave it at that. I read something last year during Lent that I wanted to make sure that I was able to share with you this year, just so simple and yet so profound, I feel like it was saying, how often do you say these four words in your life to God and to those that are closest to you? How often do you say, I'm sorry? And just leave it at that. When's the last time you said, I was wrong about anything? How about as a grown, independent, strong adult? When's the last time you said, God, I need help. I can't do it on my own. I don't know how to overcome this. I don't know how to beat this. I don't know how to have victory in this. How often you say those things might reveal the condition of your heart as you head into Lent. What's the condition of your heart? 1 John chapter 1 says it this way, and this should sound very familiar to you if you did grow up in a traditional church or in the Lutheran church. This is right out of the green hymnal, right? This is the first order of confession and forgiveness, and this is the first part, and we'll get to the second part later, but let's confess this together tonight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It goes on from there, but let's just stay there 
for a second. If we're convinced that we're not that bad, that overall we're in pretty good shape or good people or even worse, that we are convinced that we can save ourselves through trying harder or being better, man, I got some good news for you tonight. You can stop working so hard because some of you are really tired trying to be a better Christian. Some of you are exhausted from trying to perform for a God that has never asked you to perform because he's done the performing for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. Some of you are so exhausted from that. The message of Ash Wednesday is simply this, that yes, we are terrible. (laughs) It feels weird to say that, but it's true. As Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of sinners. I'm terrible. I am a great sinner. And at the same time, we have a great Savior who doesn't leave us there. We are simultaneously, as Martin Luther says, saint and sinner. And in the mystery of Christ, we coexist in that state. We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. And because of that, Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent is not something to dread. It's not something to worry about. Oh, I'm going to open the closet. What are we going to find there? Ash Wednesday and Lent can be a time of healing, a time of coming clean, a time of refreshment because you don't have to strive anymore. So look in this Lenten season, Jesus says, but don't just look in. God says, know that when we look in, I can handle anything I'm going to find, God says. Some of you aren't going to go there because you have this idea, this closet, and you think that when we open it or this area of your life, depending on whatever it is, we have this image of God up in heaven, and you kind of open up or confess something to him and say, God, I'm sorry for this. You know, this happened, this terrible thing I did back in college or last week or last month or whatever it is. And we have this image that God is up in heaven going, no, you completely caught me off guard with that one. I'm shocked. That's too big for me. His grace is bigger than any mistake that you've ever made. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. Let me say it again. You cannot out-sin the grace of God because nothing is more powerful, nothing is stronger than the cross. This isn't about you trying harder during Lent. This is about leaning in with everything we've got to the only hope that we have. It's that giant cross That's why it's so big. That's why it's so prominent. Because without Jesus, we've got nothing. Amen? That's why we sing, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you over and over and over. So we look in, but Lent is also an opportunity to tell us to, Scripture says, look away. Everybody says away. Away. Meaning away from our sin, away from the mess that we've created, whatever we've hid. Another way of describing this that we say around church a lot, if you've read Scripture, is repentance. Repentance is this word that often gets really complicated, but essentially is if you're going this direction in your life, repentance literally means to change your mind, to have a new way of thinking, and literally change direction, to go a different way. So if your life is headed this way tonight, if you're making decisions that are making your trajectory here, repentance is turning around and going the other way. In other words, if this is the line of of temptation, if this is the line that you're tempted to cross or the things that would pull you away from God are over here, repentance isn't just turning around and staying there and kind of looking over your shoulder and, you know, leaning over and checking it out. Repentance is turning around and running as far as you can away from that line. Why would I play close to the fire and expect not to get burned? 
from whatever it is that drags you down or enslaves you. Because if you're, <laughs> if you're just constantly staring at the things that you're not supposed to do, just hovering by the line, sooner rather than later, it's going to get the best of you. Nobody knows that better than a group of kids in this famous marshmallow test experiment. Some of you may have seen this before, but as you watch this, enjoy the cuteness of the kids, but think about what happens with the marshmallow test. A lot of different approaches to temptation there, isn't it? I love the girl at the end there. She has no guilt or no shame about anything. She's like, I'm just indulging. I am crossing the line very clearly. Others are weighing the temptation a little bit more, but here's why I think that video is so funny. Not so much like funny, but actually a little cruel. They are setting these kids up for failure, right? I mean, it'd be one thing if they said, here's a marshmallow, and if you don't eat it, you'll get two, and here's a couch to sit over or a TV to look at so that you don't even think about it, right? They're setting them up for failure in the sense that here's the line, don't cross the line. Oh, just remember, don't cross the line, but you have to stay here and stare at the line. And we do the same thing. We set ourselves up for failure when we're just zoned in and focused on it. This is the line that you cross of the point of temptation. Whatever your marshmallow is, you can't overcome it by staring at it and trying harder. If you want to change, do you stand as close as you can to the line staring at temptation, your struggle in the face, and just say, just try harder. <laughs> Don't drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to cross that. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to swear during Lent. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have caffeine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to love my spouse well. I'm going to be a better person. I'm not going to be a bad Christian. And meanwhile, God's over here saying, hey, come over here. This is where the joy's at. This is where the life is at. This is where the satisfaction's at. Stop navel-gazing. Stop looking at you, God says, and look at me. Change your focus to something more beautiful. Instead, we view repentance as simply saying, God, I, I'm sorry that I crossed the line, but I'll just kind of hang out here for a while. And God's saying, I'm over here. It's not about the line. It's about intimacy with me. Anything that you are going to do for Lent, if it does not draw you closer to the heart of God, we've missed the point. You can't overcome it on your own. The strength is over here in the cross, God says. Don't forget where the victory lies. In a similar way, it's kind of humorous, as I talk to different people and you read things on Facebook of people that are giving stuff up for Lent because it seems like, well, it's, it seems like what everybody else is doing and Pastor John talked about it tonight, so I should probably do that. It's the good Christian thing to do or I could feel better about myself and just try. And so we give up coffee or Facebook or certain foods or whatever it is. And my question for you tonight is simply this, what is your goal? Why are you doing that? Is it to participate in Lent, or is it because you truly want a different kind of heart? Is it to do Lent, or because you want a heart change? What is your motivation? Maybe the ultimate question is not, what should I give up from Lent, but how do I want my life to look more like Jesus 40 days from now on Easter morning when I walk in here than it does now? There is a person who I am right now, and that every single one of us has an image of the person, the man or woman that we want to be, and that's why we give things up for Lent, because we want that so desperately, and we'll do whatever it takes. But if Jesus isn't your motivation, it's not rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in peer pressure, or guilt, or should. Don't should on yourself. 
Some of you will get that on the way home. <laughs> but you're going to remember it. But we do that all the time. I had a lady come up to me last year after the evening service. I kid you not. I kid you not. And she said, John, I, um, I'm really excited to participate in Lent. And I'm like, great. She's like, I've decided to give up Starbucks for Lent. Okay. I'm like, that's great. And she said, but I have a question. I thought she was like really wrestling with it spiritually. And she said, um, when did that when should that start? Because I, I really need one when I, when I woke up this morning and I figured that was okay because Lent hadn't really started and, and I, I'm going to go to the evening service so I could probably stop by in the morning and I could get one after work still in the afternoon and still make the 7 o'clock service. And I, or does it actually start uh, on the weekend, on the Sunday? Is that when it is? Because I, I, maybe I'll go to the 11 o'clock service because I could still get one on Sunday morning on the first weekend of Lent and that would be okay. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head going, oh, oh, we've missed it. We've, we've really, really missed it. It's almost as if God is saying, I never asked you to give up coffee. I asked you to surrender your life. And if that's not the motivation of your heart after Lent, then we're really missing something. Don't you want lasting change? If there's something that would be good for you for 40 days, you could probably keep doing it. And that would be a good and healthy thing for you. Jesus says, I asked you to surrender your life, not just give up caffeine. I want you to look more like my son. And whatever it takes to do that, do that. And that might be giving something up, but that might be putting something back in your life that's been absent. What if this Lent, instead of just giving up something, you replaced it something with more beautiful? Because here's the thing, removing weeds without planting something in its place means that only weeds are going to grow back in that place. And you're going to be right back where you started at Lent, Ash Wednesday, 2018. Put something in there. Plant something more beautifully. What if, more, what if this Lent we spent less time navel-gazing and more time with our eyes outward, out towards, out away from our sin and away from ourselves and towards loving others well, towards serving a city well? That's what I love about you as a church. It's so outwardly focused, and so many of the things that we do are for people that are outside these walls. We exist as a church for the people that aren't here yet. We love, I love you. But man, my heart beats for the people that don't have this, for the people that aren't being able to hear the good news tonight proclaimed over them, that are out there standing at the line going, I feel hopeless. Turn your gaze outward. I don't, this may be oversimplifying it, but I was thinking about it this week and I was preparing for Ash Wednesday. The more focused that I am on serving others, the more focused that I am on the needs and the hurts of people around me and how I can serve them and pray for them, the more that I'm pursuing the, my, my wife, the more that I'm, I'm fully present and loving my kids well, the less temptation I find myself in. I'm not saying I'm perfect. It, it's there. But when I'm turned outward, I have less time to stare at myself and churn and wallow in my sin. So turn away towards loving your spouse, to being fully present with your kids, and most importantly, turn away towards an incredible God. So turn in, look in, look away, and finally look up. Everybody say up. Look up. Hebrews 12 puts it this way. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race. Let us get from here to there and turn around and run towards God. Let us run the race with perseverance, uh, the race marked out for us. Get this, verse 2, fixing our eyes, looking up, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. couple things here from Hebrews 12. First of all, you are surrounded tonight not just by a bunch of random strangers, but by brothers and sisters in Christ that are linked arms with you in this thing called Lent with you. You don't do Christianity alone. You don't sit, sit over here and say, wow, look how holy I am, or look how terrible of a sinner I am because I dropped, I, I fell into temptation and I messed up whatever I did for Lent. You have a family around you, and when people screw up in a family, you don't disown them. You love them and you welcome back into the fold. So we're together in this. And secondly, you, you never have to do it alone. And secondly, in your battles and in your struggles, we throw off what entangles us, what keeps us from Jesus, and we look away but fixing our eyes on Jesus. So when we turn away from our sin, we look up. We don't look down. We don't look back. We look up at Jesus. Repentance isn't just turning away from sin. It's turning towards Jesus. There's a reason that every weekend that we do Holy Communion, which we're going to celebrate here in a little bit, we do confession and forgiveness. It's two sides of the same coin. It's peanut butter and jelly. It's ketchup or mustard on a brat. Whatever you want the analogy to be. They go together. You can't separate those things. Confession and forgiveness. Or as Jesus puts it in Mark chapter 1, repent and then believe the good news. Believe who God says about you. And if anybody ever leads you into confession or repentance without the absolution or without the gospel or the new identity that you are a child, holy, loved, redeemed, righteous, that you are a saint in God's eyes, that is not the complete gospel and they're selling you short. God loves you way too much to leave you where you are. Are. Nothing is beyond him. Believe who you are now. Remember the second part of 1 John chapter 1? Well, here it is. Here's the good news. Let's read it nice and loud together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Because I think for some of us, we love the idea of forgiveness. Sounds really good until you've got to forgive yourself, which is often the hardest person to forgive. Because when we look in and stay there, we will only see a great sinner. But when we look up, we see a great Savior on this Ash Wednesday. So how should we leave here tonight? What, what does tomorrow look like for you? What is the next 40 days of Lent look like, knowing that you, maybe just like I do tonight, have doubts, and you have fears, and you are very aware of how overwhelmed you feel in life right now. There's a gap. There's a distance between where you are and where you want to be and the person that you want to be. How are you going to get there? Is, is Lent, is the next 40 days just going to just be this up and up, straight and narrow, perfect trek towards holiness? Or is Jesus looking for a little something different? A little different view of us as our father. I don't know what it is, but I've just been, I'm a sap. Fatherhood just turned me into an emotional roller coaster. And I have just been getting really nostalgic recently because our son Caleb is, in a couple weeks, is going to turn four. 
Some of you remember when we baptized him. Now he's almost four, and I was watching some videos on my phone of him uh, learning how to walk for the first time. And those of you that remember your firstborn, the grandparents that are going through this right now, you, <laughs> you remember those moments when they're just learning how to walk, and he's kind of short and chubby, and, and he waddles up to the couch for the first time, and Ha! And feels really confident, you know, and then that first time that he, he kind of steps out, and I remember Tiffany and I are like, oh, he, he's getting really close, he's going to walk any day now, any day now, and so we're getting our phones, we're like double holstered with our camera and our phone, you know, we're ready to go, and, and, and all of that, and we're really, really excited, and, and, and so he takes that first step away from the couch, and he lets go, and he kind of starts to wobble, and this is probably my fault, but he's got this big old head and like a, a twig for a body. He's like a giant forehead, poor kid, uh, that he got. It's like a, a melon on a string or something like that. And so he's out here. And because of that, like when he's learning how to walk, his head goes forward. And so in that moment, it's, it's carrying him forward. He's got two choices. He can like match it and take a step or just let his head and just face plant it and just biff it right on the floor. And so in that moment, he, he lets go of the couch and his, his head's pulling him forward and he takes that step. And, and then another step and another step and then he falls down and just biffs it and starts to cry and we're in the background going, woo! He did it! We have the best kid in the world. I mean, it's like he won an Olympic gold medal or something. We're just celebrating and rejoicing like, get the grandpas and grandmas on the phone. Call the relatives. He took three steps. I don't care if he biffed it. He's walking. He did it. He's not there yet. He's not where he should be but he's not where he was. He's not at the couch. He's not where he should be but man, I just love him right there. I love him. I love him right where he is in the process, not as he should be. And so he starts taking steps, and we're just celebrating. And since then, I've been able to talk to so many dads, so many young dads here in our church, and even dads I talk to outside the church that aren't necessarily very good dads. I've never met a dad. I've never met a dad that has the kind of heart that when they see their firstborn take their first few steps and maybe go step, 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 collapse, fall down, biff it and, and, and bruise, bruise their elbow and bloody up their knee. I've never seen a dad go, ugh, failure. Never seen a dad say, oh, when are you gonna figure it out? If only you would try a little bit harder then maybe you could figure it out. Get up and clean yourself off. I've never met a dad that doesn't go with all the grace and compassion in the world and lift their kid up, brush him off, spit on it, rub it in, and say, let's do it again. I'm going I'm to turn you away from where you were. I'm going to set you on the right course, and then I'm going to get over here. And what does every dad say? Look at me. Come to dad. Look at me. Don't look down. And when do they fall down? When they stop looking at their when they look down and they look at their feet and they navel gaze and they worry about, am I gonna trip? Then they trip and then they biff it. And so I'm over here just cheering them on saying, you can do it, you're walking, you can do it. Oh, you fell down, let me help you again. You're not where you are, you're not where you were, but you're not where you, where you wanna be yet. So come on, look up, look at me, look at me. And we're calling everybody, he's walking, he's walking. And <laughs> I don't know, if you see it this way, but it certainly sticks out to me. Can you imagine tonight that that's exactly how God sees you over these next 40 days? That you're down here 
and you, you screwed it up again. You fell right back where you were. There's so many things you want to fix about yourself, the, the weight you want to lose, you want to turn away from the drinks, you want to whatever it is. And you know that your heavenly father is up there in heaven, not with a giant ruler ready to smack you when you messed up. That is an incorrect view of God that you probably got from an earthly father. God is up in heaven saying, they're walking. Angels, check it out. Everybody, come around, gather around. My boy, my daughter, they're walking. You're doing it. I'm so proud of him. I delight in you. I, re I rejoice over you. God doesn't love the future version of you. He loves you. Where you are tonight with bloody knees and bruised elbows, just as you are. We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior who says, look at me these next 40 days. Look at how great I am. Stop looking at you and look at me. Look how great I am. Look how gracious I am. Look how beautiful I am. That's why David says in the Psalms, I, when he committed his terrible sin, what was the medicine for David when he was wallowing in his sin? There's one thing I want to do, and I just want to gaze at the beauty of the Lord because it just eclipses everything. I'm not over here wallowing in my sin. I just want to worship. I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple. And that is medicine for my soul. God says, look at me, look how loving I am. And if you fall, get up. <laughs> get up. Confession, forgiveness, freedom. Our sin is real, but so is our Savior. Our death is real, but so is his life. And that's why in a few minutes, when you come up for communion, the last thing that's going to happen is we're going to put some ashes on your forehead and the sign of a cross. And some of you are like, oh, I don't want, I don't know. <laughs> Wear it. Wear it with confidence. Not in yourself, but in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Don't diminish the greatest act of love that has ever been shown. And I invite you as you come up for communion and ashes tonight, and you will hear the words, from dust you have come and to dust you will return. Not as a smack in the face, but as an admittance of our weakness. In our weakness, he is strong. As you come up tonight, why don't you come stumbling up with bloody knees and bruised elbows, just as you are, and receive a cross to wear with confidence in your Savior. Let's stand together. And now that you have received the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may you know that right now here tonight, on a Wednesday night at the beginning of March, you are totally and completely forgiven, that you have been washed clean, that you have been set free, that you have been given a fresh start, a clean slate in his grace to live in freedom. And even though we stumble and fall over these next 40 days and beyond, although we are great sinners tonight, may you know that you have a great savior and because of it, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are holy. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees his son. And we are thankful for that. Praise God and wear that cross with confidence, not in yourself, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church. Go be the church. Have a blessed Lent. See you next time.